Hi, I'm your host, Grace Marino. And I'm Chelsea Fisher. Thanks for joining us today to drink and And deconstruct. This episode, as with all episodes of the Drink and Deconstruct podcast, represents solely host and guest opinions as stated by each individual. All situations represented are alleged and not statements of fact unless otherwise disclosed. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. Hello, and thank you for joining me for today's episode. This episode is going to be just a little bit different. I am flying solo without a co-host today and probably for the next several episodes. We're still working on some things over at the Drink and Deconstruct podcast, and so give us some time and be patient, but I promise we will continue to make the content that you want to hear. Today's guest is Annie Hay. That last name might sound familiar because last week we talked to her husband, Pastor Nathan Hay. Annie's story is very much that of gender roles inside the church. Having come from a Pentecostal kind of non-denominational background to going to an independent fundamental Baptist church, Annie got quite the shock and learned what this denomination really thinks of women. She takes us through her journey of getting into the church and getting out. Today she is thriving, having found a performing arts career outside of the church and its standards. This interview took so long to get between technical issues and scheduling issues and her production she was working on. It took us forever to get this interview scheduled. So without further ado, here is our guest today, Annie Hay. This interview has to happen. (laughs) It's been a long time coming. So Go ahead and just give us a little bit of an explanation about what kind of churches you were in, how long you've been in church, like we're in church and um, how you got there. I guess I was probably 13, 12 or 13. uh, The first time I really went to church. I I think we went whenever I was a kid a couple of times, like little vague memories of wearing white tights and ugly shoes, you know, (laughs) but probably Easter. Um, (laughs) But that I actually knew that I was going to church and that's what it was. Um, I was about 12 or 13, middle school age, and uh, I went with a friend a few times. Well, for probably a good year, but it was just a youth group. Like, we didn't really go to church. We went to a youth group thing on Monday nights. Gotcha. Yeah. So I went there for until... I guess the summer before high school started and maybe a little bit into high school. And I remember... I started to have those questions that you have when you're a teenager and you start learning things. And every person who was in charge of us had different answers. And I was just like, well, this has become a hassle. I'm getting older. I'm just not going to do it. You know? So I just kind of yeah. quit. And um, I didn't really go back until um, I had a friend that went sometimes and occasionally she'd be like, come to church with me. But it was like maybe twice in between and then when uh when Nathan and I really started talking that was when I started going to church again so 
the church I went to, the youth group was a non-denominational church. They kind of leaned, I, I feel like more Pentecostally in their okay. services and, and their views, but they were true non-denominational. Like each of the three people that were in charge of us in the youth group had different ideas and viewpoints. And in theory, that sounds like a great idea that, you know, like it doesn't matter what you believe, but when you're a kid and you don't understand things, it's really confusing to get different answers from different people. Yeah, that um, is true. Yeah. So, um, of course, he's probably told you about the place where he went to church. That's where I, I went with him. And, um, of course, they were very, very Baptist Baptists. We were there for at least a good 12 years, I guess. Okay. Okay. So what was that experience like going from something, you know, pretty non-denominational, pretty kind of relaxed to the independent fundamental Baptist, very strict rules. You had to kind of do everything in the exact same way. Like, what was that like, that transition? Well, you know, at first it wasn't, I didn't see it that way, you know, and mm -hmm. it was very, oh, well, you're new and, and he's in and, you know, I had... Nathan was my, you know, if, if anything had to be said, it was to, you know, through him. And at first I was like, oh, oh, okay. I didn't realize it was like that. All right. But I feel like I was looking for something. Um, I was looking for some form of, I don't know, acceptance, some form of a group, you know, like I didn't have that. And I guess security in a way that you get from that church institution that I didn't have in my life. Um, and I was going through a divorce when Nathan and I got together. And so that, that didn't, that didn't help that sense of security either. I, <clears throat> I got married when I was 19. We started uh, the process of splitting up whenever I was 20. Um, okay. So I, I was the perfect candidate for, that type of an organization. I was just this lost drifting kid. I'd had the bad childhood. I didn't obviously know how to do adulthood and I wanted stability and mm -hmm. that was stability. So at first it didn't really bother me that, well, you know, this is an organization where you have to fit in was like, oh, okay, I can do that. I can fit in. And then I'm, I'm very people pleaser. So that didn't, that, that definitely hit that ping of, oh, oh, okay, so I can't read these books or listen to this music. And if I don't do those things, then you're going to like me more. Excellent. I can do that. You know, <laughs> it, it, for a while, it was just like, okay, we can, we can assimilate. We can be part of this. And, and it, I was fine with it. It wasn't until a few years later that it really started to be a thing that I was like, oh, okay individuality isn't the thing here anymore you know mm -hmm. that's so interesting I think that you seem to be from what I've you know our correspondence with each other from you know what Nathan has said um, you seem to be a very like individualistic person and very like wanting your own individual identity so the fact yes. that you that people pleaser part though was kind of not manipulated maybe, but just kind of, it was invoked to be that people pleaser. And you kind of lost that sense of individuality that like you seem to, you know, value. For sure. For sure. Uh, I can remember 
thinking about it from time to time, but it being just like, a, well, God doesn't want me to do this, and I can be an individual in these other ways. You know, uh, I, I definitely tried to reconcile the two for a long time. What began your deconstruction? Where was that kind of triggered? And there were there were little, you know, pokes along the way. Um, I'd say that if, if I had to go to one thing that really poked the first hole in it, it was um, Nathan was the choir director for a little while. And I remember church women are just mean. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. um, I, uh, I've since found out that um, what she said is actually true. But this lady, one day I wasn't getting the music and I was trying really hard. I had never to that point learned anything about singing about my voice and I was like, I can either go like super low on this or so high it hurts. And I, I can't find my middle ground. Can someone help me? And like these ladies just start attacking me for it. And I'm like, what? Wait. And he just kind of stands there and lets it happen. And I'm just looking at him like, hello, you're in charge. And he's just like, okay, moving on. And I'm like, what? <laughs> and um then one of the ladies still like quietly was like if she wants to sing like that she needs to move up and sing with the men and I was just like devastated and I, I'm like excuse me and then the other lady turns around and hands me a box of tissues and is like go cry about it and I'm like I'm done and and just walked off and we ended up in the pastor's office and the pastor's telling me how that I was being a crybaby and I'm just like are you all kidding me like you're gonna allow these women to attack someone because they didn't understand the music because they were tired of going over it. Really? What's fun about that one is that years later, um, when I started getting back into performing and and, um, one of my best friends is my vocal coach and Mm -hmm. love him to death um, because he is the type of person that he is and his patient doesn't pick you apart for things. And he was directing a choir, a community choir at uh, the college that I'm going to now. And I went for him because he needed people from the community and uh, I was having the same problem. And I just went to him after like the third or fourth time that we had met. And I was like, Hey, I'm either going to quit or if you need people, I can just stand here and move my mouth, but I'm not getting it. I've never been able to sing. I can't, I can't do this. And he's like, okay, well, can we talk in my office? And I'm like, sure. And he's sitting at his piano and he's like, okay, we're going to run through some vocal exercises. And what we found out was that I have a voice type that is, tells me all the time. He's like, you get down to a low D flat comfortably. And I'm like, cool. Um, He says that that's within his baritone range. I have a very low voice type. I have high notes, but I can't stick with them because it hurts me. These women who are like, she should go sing with the men. That's what he did with me in that choir was move me to the tenor section because I'm a contralto. To go back to the whole point of the issue <laughs> was, yeah. you know, I was devastated because I mean, here you're in a place where women should be women and men should be men and you can't cross those lines. And I'm publicly called out. And then the pastor is chastising me for it and telling me that I should stop being a crybaby and let my husband do his job. And I'm just like, okay, whatever and I stopped singing in the choir because of it for a while and that was that was probably three or four years before we ever actually left. Nathan ended up inter, uh, interim pastoring at an, another church for a while and we stayed mostly away from the church for a while and that that helped to keep me 
in there, you know, I guess, because we, we separated from those women and what they were, how mean they were about things. But it, you know, you got grouped with all these women and whatever ways they wanted to be dominant, that's, that's what you had to put up with. And if you weren't a mean person, then you didn't, you didn't really thrive, I feel like. The big push for me, though, was whenever uh, I, I went back to college to finish my associate's degree with intention to um, get my bachelor's. At the time, I wanted a bachelor's in art with a teaching degree. Um, and, <clears throat> excuse me, we, uh, we got to the end of my associate's degree. That would have been 2018. And I was looking at colleges and we kept asking for input from our pastor and, and advice and help. And can we talk about this? And he would put us off. And like, at first it was like, yeah, when I've got time, I'll let you know when I've got time. And then he never had time. So I started talking to this Christian college right on the border of West Virginia and Virginia. It, it all seemed really promising, really good about that. We're like, their, their views don't necessarily match up always with ours. And I'm just a little conflicted about that. And he's like, oh, well, I don't have time to talk to you about that, but you can talk to these people because their son-in-law went there. And I'm like, that's that's not what we want, you know, but okay. Anyway, it, it all fell apart with the transfer counselor and my communication lines broke down and I just didn't feel comfortable going there. So I started looking at other schools. I ended up applying to a few more schools, but there's nothing really close that had that art and education program. Mm -hmm. um the closest that we did have there there was a place in um we are over here near tennessee kentucky you know kind of where the states kind of come together and this is on the other side like we lived right on the chesapeake bay when we moved and we lived there for about a month month and a half school did not work out it's really hard to transfer as a um with an associate's degree anyway even harder when you're transferring to some place that's far away because people are like when you get so when i got there it was about a week before classes started and all i was told was well our prerequisite courses are uh, filled up you don't have anything that you can really take i could take six credits which of course cut my eight in half and made me ineligible for a lot of the scholarships i was going to get nathan had wanted a job at a shipyard that fell through which would have been perfect would have paid our bills and they didn't they it, it looked really promising until like right before we left and he's like we're gonna go it's gonna be fine and I was like okay I don't know I think we should just stay put I can look at some more options we can do this in a year and he just really pushed let's go let's go we're gonna do this it's gonna be fine God's gonna take care of us and we went and we failed his job that he ended up getting because that one fell through was part-time at a food lion he you know he made 11 bucks an hour and got 20 hours a week, which right. did not even begin to cover our, you know, I think we paid like 1300 a month in rent there on 20 hours a week at $11 an hour. It's not going to sustain. And we had a car payment and insurance, a couple of credit cards and a child figuring out and sitting in my kitchen floor. I was starting to unpack and sitting in the kitchen floor of our apartment and thinking, I don't want to be homeless with a kid you know like I could be homeless if it's just me but like kid doesn't deserve that I could have gotten a job but to get a job that works around 
his schedule at school was going to be really hard. This is a completely different world for him. You know, we moved from a very rural area to the city. So that was going to be hard anyway. But I just kept thinking, if we can't make rent and we end up on the street, then he gets taken and ends up with a stranger. Whereas if we're homeless back home, we can bounce between family at home. And if it comes to that, my mother ends up with him, you know, or something like that. And so I called my mom and I was like, this isn't, this isn't working. I got to find a way to get back home if we leave everything here even. And she just so happened to be coming in to see her brother who lived in Williamsburg and um, was like, I'll bring, you know, I'll, I'll get a loan. We'll get you all and bring you home. So that was that. I told Nathan, I talked to her. That was her plan. And he's like, yeah, I, I think that's best. And he leaves for work and calls the pastor of our church. And he comes home and he tells me about the conversation. And he said that basically he got a big lecture about how this is what happens when you let your wife run the household and make the decisions. And I'm like, it wasn't even my decision. <laughs> I said, no, I said, stay home. I said, wait, you know, it wasn't the first time that accusations had been made about me to Nathan and he'd been fussed at or got in trouble, in trouble for adults. Like, why are we worried about this one man getting us into trouble? It's, we're not in school, but that's beside the point. But, you know, he gets in trouble because I supposedly did something and no one speaks to me about it. They just tell Nathan what a, a bad person I am, bad Christian. And I just stewed on that for a while. And um, we came back and they were doing a revival. It was a little tent revival at the park. And we went one night. Like, I'm already kind of ticked at these people. And I remember in that revival that he held this altar call for the longest time. And I'm just sitting there, you know, the, he's, he does the whole heads bowed, eyes closed thing. And it's just going on and on and on. You don't hear people moving anymore. Even he's saying people aren't moving, but I know there's a, there's an individual here tonight that needs to move. And there's an individual here tonight. I know that you hear me. I know that you know that you need to move. You need to get right with God. You need to get saved. And I'm like, oh, like you can feel that coming at you, you know, and like all of it's being, sp and I just kind of looked up and he's pointing at me like at, directly at me while he's saying all this and I'm just like looking at him at this point it was very awkward and I just kind of snickered and looked back down like dude we're, we're, we'll be here all night it's not your place to tell me whether I am or am not okay with God it's not your place to tell me whether I have or have not accepted salvation you know like right we've talked about it previously and um if you didn't believe what I said, okay, that's on you, you know? He eventually did close it out. And I just remember being like, did that just happen? I think that was the moment that I really was done. It wasn't a good situation. And no one is reaching out and asking if we're okay, if we need help. We're just kind of getting blown off and written off. There, there was a girl that I was really good friends with in the church before we left. She does not speak to me anymore. And at that point would, would have actively avoided me. Now... It's like occasionally if she sees me, she'll hi. Her kid even, who is Logan's age, isn't friends with Logan anymore. And I'm just like, all of that for a perceived slight, it just, it makes you kind of rethink things a lot. So I think that night, that was the big breaking point for me that I was just like, this isn't worth dealing with. This isn't worth getting up early on my weekends for, you know, <laughs> I still did. But I don't know, my, my whole attitude was completely different about it 
from then on. I mean, I, I still go to church sometimes with Nathan. It's not a thing where I'm just like, I'm not going. Right. But that was when I realized I'm going to prioritize other things. Mm -hmm. Because for the longest time, I wouldn't participate in anything that took me away from church. Period. Uh, I, I was cast in a local production of Beauty and the Beast a few years ago. Was ecstatic. I was just a song when the lady says, I need six eggs. That was going to be me. That was it. <laughs> that was my big feature. But I'd never been in a musical before. So I was so excited and had to tell them no because their first month and a half of rehearsals were Wednesday nights. Mm. And I just, I remember making that decision over the next couple of weeks and just really laying it out that it was never worth missing things for me, God. It's about the person that's standing up and yelling the loudest. Yeah, that's funny how that's what preaching is at those kind of churches. <laughs> is literally, I've seen, I had a pastor who kicked a hymnal or like threw it down. Like he tore a book. Like it was so dramatic. It's like you're having a temper tantrum as a grown adult man on the stage. And like, that's so manipulative, I think. <laughs> I think a lot of churches are very culty. Yes. There's a lot of, <laughs> you know, behavior control, thought control, like emotional control, and just like screaming and yelling. I'm not a fan of that preaching style, never have been. But I did want to ask, how did Nathan kind of take it? Like, what was that conversation like when you were, you started deconstructing? It didn't at first. I honestly just kind of kept trying to deal mm -hmm. and figure things out. And the summer of 2019 was a mess. I was not okay psychologically dealing with all of that and and just I didn't know what to do and all I could think is well that's it our relationship's done we're we're over how do you do that you know like I have a kid that's that's not okay and financially I'm not stable enough to just leave and you know like there's a relationship there but I, I just felt like there's going to be no relationship without church. When we first got together it was you're going to have to go to church with that being in the foundation of us as a couple, mm. I felt like, okay, if I tell him this is how I feel about the church, that's it. We're going to be done. So I had a friend from college. We ended up, when we did find a place, it was somehow ironically on the same road that he lived on. My one friend from um, college that I made who happened to be like just graduated, <laughs> here I was in my early 30s going back to college. And I thought he was my age. He thought I was his age. And we didn't really figure that out until the, the end of our time there. So we just, we were, uh, he was friends with my niece and uh, her husband. And they were going to school too. And me and my niece and he were all in the same history class. And so we would all had a, a little free period at the end of that, that we would hang out together. Well, she dropped out and it just ended up being me and him sitting together and like well I guess we're pals now we we ended up making a good friendship he's still really close to us he's here he was here last night like he's friends with Nathan now we're all really close when we moved here he was coming over a lot and I spent a lot of um late evenings outside at his car when he would go to leave freaking out and having an existential crisis <laughs> so um bless his heart He's like, he's in his mid twenties now. And I'm like, you were just a child. You were a baby. And I'm just laying <laughs> things out 
out to you and he's like but i mean he was also really mature he had cancer when he was in high school um and so he very much has that beyond his years sort of maturity until we're being idiots and then we all just come down to his level and we're all toddlers but so but i i kind of leaned on him a lot because he was there and he listened and I just ranted and I was like, you know, I guess the the biggest thing that it came down to was I don't want to lose what I have now, but I can't continue being the person that I've been because that's not who I am. And it it wasn't, you know, Mm -hmm. that never fit and trying to figure out how to fit who I am into the expectation of a church. And by this point, Nathan was preaching at the church that he's pastoring now and they were really good people. They're still they they understand that that it's not as black and white as we sometimes look at it from a church perspective. You know, I didn't realize that then. I knew they were good people. I knew I liked the people there, but I didn't realize that they were going to be as okay. And I started just being like, okay, I'm just gonna do me, and we're gonna see where it goes. And I started doing things like dyeing my hair loud colors and hoping for the best. I remember this one little lady kept saying, oh, I love your hair that color. And I'm like, is she smart enough to me? Turns out, no, she isn't. And she dyed her hair pink a couple months ago. And I was like, all right. It, it eventually did end up in some conversations. And it was more like months later, once I'd settled. I mean, we had the pandemic that happened not long after all of that. Nathan and I did end up having a slight conversation about it because he thought that I was cheating on him with our friend for a minute there. Oh. He's like, you are outside for like an hour or two at a time. And I'm like, because I'm having a mental breakdown. <laughs> you know? And he's like, what? And I'm like, I'm just dealing with a lot of things, you know, and, and we kind of had a, a small conversation, but it was, we're not very good at that. We're not very good at the talking. So his dad passed away and, and we talked a little here and there. Um, I started telling him I wanted a tattoo and asking him, you know, like the church is not, about tattoos but i've always wanted a tattoo why and you know he starts giving me this whole well the the cuttings in your flesh for the dead i was like it's not for the dead it's for me i'm here i'm not i'm not dead i'm alive so how does that apply and there was never really a good answer i was like until you get me a good answer i'm gonna start saving money i'm gonna get a tattoo and then i kind of sat on that for a while when his dad passed away i think it really started him looking at things differently that really opened up for conversations and it wasn't his dad died in december of uh 2020 and then it was like that was 2019 i was not okay and i don't know what okay is going to look like for you but you know let me help and that's where the conversation finally happened and it i think really it was like two years of just patching through and finding good moments when we could find good moments and just acting like it didn't exist until that point then once he got broken enough that he was with me on it then we were able to talk and I was able to really help him the relationship still I feel like sometimes is on the these wobbly legs of we don't know where we're at anyway Mm -hmm. um I think sometimes and we just take it day by day I mean spiritually though it's it's all a little wobbly he's still pastoring he told me recently that he feels like where he's at right now is a good place and I'm like that's great and I think where I'm at for right now is a good place too but I don't I don't really look at myself I don't say oh yeah I'm a Christian because I don't know what I am anymore I just 
am and I don't worry about it. I've gotten into a little bit of witchcraft, folk magic type stuff, home blessing jars for um, my friends for, for Christmas. And it's just like, well, this herb symbolizes this and this stone symbolizes this. And these are my intentions for you as I'm putting things into a jar and then you cap it and seal it and hand it to them and say, put this in your home. These are my intentions. Means more in my head than I'm going to pray for you. And then we, we forget to pray for people and what are prayers, but intentions. So, you know, I don't want to be hateful about people who are Christians. And if that makes you a better person, I think that's great, but that's not what made me a better person. So that's what I'm looking for. It's really funny that you say that because I've always said that stepping away from like institutionalized religion has a thousand percent made me a better person I do feel like sometimes it makes you lose a little bit of hope but that hope is kind of like in a false thing and that's just the security that you're looking for and when you do start the deconstruction process it is that unsteady those wobbly legs like with every relationship that you have in the church or that's based on those beliefs so I think the idea that you and you and Nathan are kind of at different spots is really interesting to me because my husband and I both kind of deconstructed together. Like we kind of helped each other. We talk about God all the time. What do those, do you and Nathan still have those kind of conversations or is it just like, nope, church is your thing. This is my <laughs> thing. I'll come to church sometimes, but otherwise arm's length. Like, what does it look like? No, like I, he tells me like, oh, I'm going to preach on this, or I've been studying about this thing. And, and I'll tell them about things that I've looked at. And I mean, like, but I, I bought tarot cards recently. Mm. And um, that was something that I did whenever I was a teenager. I, I read tarot cards. I got decent at it at the time. I don't remember anything about it. But I bought these tarot cards because they were, they were cool. The art was cool. Yeah. And then I start reading about um, the theme that the artist had for all the artwork was this walking a line between two planes. And then I was like, this is really cool. Like it's talking about like a spiritual plane and a mortal plane type thing. But, you know, I feel like that's me. That's I'm I'm walking this line between your world and mine. And, and I'm cool with that. Like I I like hearing that he had a good time at church or I found this thing in the Bible that because that's him. And I just feel like it's okay that you're a different person than me. And I think that's the biggest takeaway for me, for me from the whole deconstructing married couple thing is that if at the end of it, what he found was church is who he is and church is where he'll stay. And I found that that's not me. I, I want to support you. So I'll be there for you. But this is me. I feel like that's how it should be anyway. We should be able to be individual people, but that goes straight in the face of everything we were taught about marriage when we first got married of, mm -hmm. oh, you're, you know, you're one person now and you're part of him and he's the head of the household and he makes the decisions. And it's very liberating to come to a point as a married couple that you're you're able to be a person again. We we got married right after I got divorced, you know. I mean, we it was because the church is what it is, you know. It was a quick thing. It was I got divorced. We we dated for like 5 months and got married and I had no time to figure out who I was as an individual human being mm. until the last couple of years. And so the fact that he's along for this it means a lot to me that i can be who i am and i don't have to worry about that being a deal breaker for the marriage or 
anything i mean if, if it sounds really stupid i guess to say it but I, I think the biggest thing that's come out of it is at the end of it we're not just married we there's a friendship there yeah that we'd had before we were together uh, like i met nathan he was friends with my my older brother and we we were friends before we ever together as a couple and and it's like okay now we're friends again yeah and i think that's been the biggest thing that has has held it together yeah i think the church loves their analogies right like they love <laughs> the you have to be equally yoked and the whole umbrella analogy where god is the you know, umbrella, and then it's your <laughs> husband, and then it's, or your father, then your husband, and then your children, like the hierarchy of how things should go. But that doesn't lend, and something I respect about your relationship, even when Nathan was talking, I was like, it's great that you respect each other. And I think that there's that boundary of respect in, in the way that the Bible teaches it, because the Bible teaches, you know, how married couples should behave with, you know, loving each other above yourself, respecting each other, submitting to each other, whatever. And I think that gets like perverted almost in the church. And so to see the two of you have such mutual respect for each other, that even though this is an organization as a whole that has hurt you in the past, you're still willing to look at him and say, hey, if you're happy, I'm happy but I'm also going to find my own happiness elsewhere, you know? So I think, I think that's beautiful, your relationship. <laughs> <laughs> we touched on briefly a little bit about kind of the cattiness that goes on um, behind closed doors with the, the women in the church specifically. My experience in the church was from that of a teenage adolescent I never was a woman in the church I was never a married person in the church so what kind of because I I, I know the high school girls were very high school girls but I kind of want to know from your perspective as the wife of a leader in the church someone who you know should be kind of well respected like what does that cattiness hail a little bit well I think ultimately that, that people don't grow up <laughs> I, I think that's in general, honestly, in, in my experience, but um, but you still get a lot of people who are stuck in that high school girl cattiness mm -hmm. and they don't get over it ever. I never felt like I was respected in the church. And I think a lot of it came from the fact that people knew that I was divorced and that I came from a rougher background. And I guess there was a part of me that always had a little rebellious streak anyway. <laughs> Yeah. And that as hard as I tried to fit in, if that was just in my head or if that was for real sometimes, because I feel like that is kind of me as a general rule. Uh, I've never really had a place that I felt like, okay, this is it. I fit here. Right. Um, I have a friends group now that is kind of as close as I've ever gotten to that. But even then, sometimes I'm like, mm, I'm kind of sitting at the edge of you guys and watching you know and that might just be some psychological thing with myself that might <laughs> that might not be the way it was at all but I never really felt like I was this respected person there so the cattiness in the church and maybe this was why I never fit in was I would remove myself from things that that bothered me I because I know if I get mad and I say something it's going to get out of control right I I got a mouth and um, women talking about people 
for like the entirety of church. You didn't go to church. You went to the fellowship hall and prepared the meal. And I just remember being over there just like, these women are horrible. And they would put down on people for what they wore, for their hair, for, you know, the way they took care of their children, the way they didn't have children. And I mean, I'm just sitting there like, these are the women that I respected. And this is how they, they behave. And then you turn around and compliment one of these people and they're, you know, it would be like, oh, it's not me, honey. It's God. It's all God. It's never, I must minimize so God may, uh, I'm just like, yeah, okay, until you're talking about, you know, sister so-and-so over there and how much her hair looked like trash this morning, then, then that's all you gotcha. I understand. Yeah. Um, I, I just, I couldn't stand it. And, and I also, I've always gotten along with guys better, which always made me a little bit of an outsider anyway. Um, I grew up with brothers and male cousins. I was the only girl. Mm. And I think that's kind of warped how I, I feel about being friends with women. I don't, I don't make friends easily anyway. So I think that was part of it too, is like, I would talk to the people Nathan talked to and he talked to men. So I would end up, I knew how to joke with men. I knew how to talk to men. And I, I still, to this day, don't know how to talk to and joke with women for the most part. Getting there, but eh. Yeah. I, I have a lot of male friends. I mean, uh, my friend from college, he's a guy. My two other friends that I'm really close with are, are guys. They're a gay couple. So, you know, I mean, maybe we get a little closer. I don't know. <laughs> I, I just, like, I don't, I don't understand girls. I don't. Yeah. And and I think some of that comes from most of the girls I was around as a kid were really serious, really catty, and really fixated on being above the next person, even if it's their best friend. I could not stand that attitude. It just it doesn't resonate with me. And I feel like you see a lot of that in the church. And I mean, someone gets a position or a solo in the choir and then to their face people are like oh my god that's you did such a good job and then as soon as they're out of earshot it's you know can you believe that they did this and they did that and that they still let them do that and it's just like i can't with that i can't with the the two-facedness i i just it's i do good to keep up with myself on a normal daily basis so i can't keep up with being one thing to your face and the other thing behind your back yeah <laughs> so i i just I feel like, though, you probably had a very similar experience as a teenager mm. that you would have if you had grown up in the church with women. Because I think I think that cattiness for people who are going to perpetuate that through adulthood, it's the same stuff. It's still, did you see what they wore? Can you believe they wore that? Can you believe they did their hair that way? It's It's the same thing. Yeah. I always got a lot of veiled prayer requests. Like pray for so-and-so because you know of this like they clearly need just some extra support whatever and like just that pettiness and backhandedness and like the passive aggression and yep. even that would come from the pulpit too so yep. women were because women were very much you know supposed to listen to their men listen to, to the father first and then the husband like you just, you act how they tell you to act basically. And that's what they're modeling. A church is the passive aggressive, you know who you are that needs to come to the altar. And it's mm -hmm. so funny because I think it's just that that behavior has never been called out as a bad thing because yeah. it's just 
that it is. A lot of these people are homeschooled, grow up in the church, have been here. You know, they this rhetoric is just all they hear and they don't really step outside themselves. So that's just kind of what it is. So it's it's I think it's kind of hilarious that you said that I probably experienced the same thing with <laughs> teenage girls as you did with adult women. It's, it's always what it felt like. You know, it was being back in high school that I mean I, I told you I didn't I didn't have a lot of friends who were girls but I had plenty of girls that would that I knew were talking about me right. going through school or that would come straight to my face and say what they wanted to say and it just the the I feel like there is this level of power that they feel like they have over people and I I, I kind of just kind of went through my head now that kind of makes me wonder if it's because they don't have power in their own lives Maybe you know your your power is given to men. Your power is given to your husband, your pastor, your Sunday school teacher, your deacons, whatever. So you know, uh, I mean, in that way, it's kind of pitiful, you know, that you've got to find power over someone. So you're going to find a woman that you can have power over. Yeah, yeah, that's actually you make a really good point about that. I've never thought of it that way that there is no power really except over maybe your children but like your husband still gets the the final say there like just the need to have some kind of power or find your own place there you know I try to humanize people as much as possible even if they're they seem vile because clearly you know maybe there's just something broken in them right but I don't know I can't, I still have a lot of hurt and anger from like some of the women at the church. So I do, I do understand where you're coming from and saying like, like just remove yourself because if you don't, someone's feelings are going to get hurt (laughs) and they won't be mine this time. (laughs) Right. And I mean, where, where we were, you know, you became, if you were the person who, if you outright said, okay, you're being a jerk, you need to stop. The only person in that church who had the power to say anything like that was the pastor's wife because she was ultimately protected. I'm sorry, my cat's being weird again. <laughs> uh, anyway, um, I mean, she she was ultimately able to do whatever, pretty much. I mean, that was at least the way it appeared. She could say whatever to whoever, and, and she was it was okay. You know, I know personally of a man in the church that was told, you know, how he needed to run his household by her. And like, that's not her place by their hierarchy, but it was okay because she was the pastor's wife, you know, and they were as bad for the gossip and all that as anyone else. But, you know, you couldn't ever call them out. Um, I know I had one of their, their sons in, um, in a class I did, um, I taught the uh, the preteen class for a little while on Wednesday nights, and and their son told, stood up and told everyone that Nathan and I lived together for a while before we got married. I was like, that no. He's like, yeah, when you guys were living together, I heard my mom and dad talk about it. I was like, oh sweetie, no, that never ever 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 happened. And if you get something like that that you need to bring up, bring it up to me because um no and. I just remember it being this whole thing. And then she went and made him apologize to me for saying it. And she's like, we never said that. And I'm like, "Mm." I, uh, years later, it was, um, I actually, I work at the college where I got my uh, associate's degree. So when he was in college, we ended up, he brought it up to me later. He's like, maybe I misunderstood, but they did say that. And I'm like, oh, honey, I don't, I don't doubt one bit that they said that, but like, I got him a job at the bookstore, which was right next to my, my desk at the time, 
I was working in admissions and they were side by side. So he'd come over and talk to me and I'm just like, yeah, yeah, no, they probably did say that. And I'm sorry that they were mistaken. <laughs> and, you know, just kind of left it at that. But um, the gossip, it was only brought up if it was hurting them, you know, or it got back to them in some way. I know my niece, um, before she got married, there was this whole rumor that got spread about her because she had put on weight and she was getting married. So obviously she was pregnant. Obviously. And like she knew exactly who was spreading the rumor and they were never called out for it because they were a Sunday school teacher. And it's just, you know, uh, and I think the only reason it was, it was even brought up was because she went and threw a fit. And I mean, that was her words. She said, I went to his office and threw a fit after it was brought back. I don't know. I wasn't even in the service when that happened. I was then found out about it later, but she still kind of heard about that to this day. Cause those people, you know, they never were even told, hey, uh, let's not talk about people. And before you start talking about people and spreading things, maybe go to them. You know, it was just like every woman in this church needs to go and apologize to her. Well, that's just awkward for her, you know, because they put her at the front of the church and stood her there and made everyone cycle through and like children. And I'm just like in the nursery going, oh, wow, I'm glad I'm not there. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not a fan of like the whole church watching discipline or watching because that kind of just points it out like, yeah, you're, you know, your niece, she was the one who has an issue with it. So you have to come apologize to her to placate her or something that uh, yeah. it's like a weird target on her back mm -hmm. to the other women to just be like, wow, she couldn't have just said something to me you know she had to run to the pastor or she had to run to whoever like ugh, i don't like that no and she she still talks about it it's still it's a hurt that she she carries with her she she also has left the church she and i talk to each other a lot especially in you know before nathan kind of came to his place in in the deconstruction and it, it like the, the poor girl has she's 25 and you know she lives across from the pastor he's he lives across the road from her <laughs> so she just she got a double whammy there anyway of it and uh but that's that that kind of thing is it's just a weird cultish sort of church anyway and i guess that's one of the best examples of it is things like that like you've got to get in front of the church and you've got to do this and then everyone as a whole i don't know it was just a strange ways that they took care of things and that's how that was taken care of but when you know when another pastor's wife made up some big tale about me apparently i went to their church and threw a fit about money which didn't happen but um <laughs> he fussed at nathan and told nathan to go home and set me straight and i'm like why did he talk to me was it because he knew that i would tell him um no that's a lie um the discipline through your husband is yeah yeah. like he's supposed to come home and chastise you like a kid yeah yeah okay so we are um closing in here my son's asleep um nap time is almost over <laughs> right. so we're kind of closing in so is there anything that you kind of wanted to touch on that we haven't gotten to talk about or that you really just wanted to be heard like just kind of an open forum I think the only other thing that that is part of my journey that is really pertinent is the church's views on mental health that I know that it was said so often from the pulpit where we were at that 
you know, oh, people are getting diagnosed with this and diagnosed with that and getting on medicine for it. And, you know, they just got a demon, you know, stuff like that. And I mean, it was acknowledged occasionally like, well, you know, this, they they have a problem and they're, they're mentally ill. But, you know, sometimes there are in, imbalances in the brain. But for the most part, this is just Satan's got to hold on you. Whenever I was a teenager, I, I cut. Uh, that was something that I went through. And um, I remember telling my, my pastor about it whenever we talked about, you know, my past and how I had come to be, you know, to, to salvation. And I said that, you know, something about having cut when I was a child or, you know, I was like 15, mm-hmm. 16 years old. And he's like, well, you know, that's, that's demon position. You had a demon. And I'm like, really? (laughs) He goes and like shows me all this scripture. And he's like, and I knew you were demon possessed the first time you walked into the church because during the uh, invitation, you pulled all your hair down in front of your face. And I'm like, that was just me being nervous. He's like, no, no, you, this wasn't just a nervous thing. You had your hair. I mean, I'm sure you've seen me mess with my hair constantly. We've been talking. It's a nervous thing for me. And I've brought it up since um, since going back to school. I am in school to get my bachelor's now in theater, not art, like I had started to get. But um, they have counseling services. And um, I also see a psychiatrist through um, UVA Charlotte School by Telehealth. Mm-hmm. And both of them, in asking about my past, I brought up the cutting and I brought up the messing with my hair and stuff. But he, and it's like, yeah, those are like self-soothing things that's not like even that's it's extreme with cutting but like sometimes when you feel like you're in crisis that is a a coping mechanism and I'm like wow are you sure it's not a demon you know (laughs) I didn't say that to them but that's just like people should be told that they need help not that they need an exorcism you know I mean it's just such a you've got this institution that has proven to be kind of bad for a lot of people's mental health and then on top of that to tell someone oh yeah that's just a demon I I remember there being a lady in the church who had panic attacks Mm. and her you know it being made out that it was because she wasn't right with God and if she would just get right with God she wouldn't have panic attacks and I'm like okay I have panic attacks and that's not how those work (laughs) and um, it's it's just I have so much, I'm, I'm 37 years old and I've been going to a psychiatrist since August and a year with counseling. And it's like, it took this long because it was so looked down upon mm-hmm. and all the things that they're trying to figure out and unravel with me are now kind of meddled in with the problems and issues that I have from 12 years of going to church and having to, you know, and going through this spiritual, I don't know, I don't want to say crisis because it doesn't feel like crisis. That's what my psychiatrist said the last time it came up. He's like, you, you had a, a crisis of your spiritual identity. Well, I don't feel like I'm in crisis, you know, right. but that's how they're looking at it. And it's, it is a psychological thing though it, it is something that you it, it does mess with your head so that's now in there along with the fact that my church did not support mental health as a whole so any mental issues that i had before are it's hard to untangle what's a what's an issue that i always had and what's an issue that i have now because of my spirituality and the questions i have there yeah that process of detangling them from each other is you know i always joke that um pastors should pay for our therapy, uh, <laughs> yeah, um, because it 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 is inevitable 
right? That I think that people who are deconstructing will go, will start going to therapy. Um, especially those who have very bad religious trauma. But that's the thing is most people who deconstruct from the church have religious trauma. So that's an entity that is traumatizing its people. And to be unable to say what, you know, what was there, but maybe got worse because of church or what was not there at all and became presented at like through this experience or just, you know, what is completely unrelated that kind of stuff like that process is a is a struggle i've been in therapy for almost five years now and it's it's still an ongoing like why do you have this trauma you know why do you have this baggage and i just i agree that it is so important that we do talk about how pitifully the church deals with mental health and that's when i trying to find a new church I'll go for a while and I'll be like, okay, I like this. I like this, whatever. And then if they start talking about mental health at all, like I, I went to a church where they were like, suicide is selfish and suicide is the devil. And I'm like, all right, we're done with this church. Like I'm not, that's, that's the one thing, the biggest thing that turns me away from a church, you know, fastest. It is very important for you to have brought up. And I'm sorry that it plays such a big part in your story, mental health and, you know, maybe mental illness or just struggling through that and not having the resources provided to you or encouraged to be sought. We live, we live in an area here and I don't know, maybe this is everywhere, but I know, you know, being in this Southern Appalachian mountain rural area, it's very stigmatized in general. Yeah. So to have the stigma added by a church saying, eh, demon possession, it doesn't help anyone in this area. I mean, it's a very heavily, it's very Bible belty here. And whether you're in church or or not, you know someone who's close to you that's in church that's going to, you know, probably bring that opinion up. And then, you know, aside from that, it's just, it is so stigmatized to go get help is still very much, I don't know, people feel like you got to hush it. Mm-hmm. And, and for me, I feel like it keeps me honest to be like, yeah, I'm in therapy. <laughs> you know, I, I go, that's what I do. I'm not like, oh, yeah, I, got, I got an appointment and uh, yeah, I mean, it's just like, yeah, I got, I got to go see my counselor. Yeah. She's cool. I like her. You know, <laughs> I mean, that's just because it's, it's just health, mm-hmm. but to take that away, that is part of our, our being and make it part of spiritual care for the sake of a sermon is it's not fair to the people who are struggling and honestly i'd say that a lot of these pastors who who are in the positions in these churches that are so hurtful that are culty probably have their own psychological issues that they're ignoring that's my take on it i mean why else would you get off on that much power absolutely do you have social medias for the, the podcast specific i do i do so um we have um just instagram right now and it's okay. just drink and deconstruct pod. Okay. I will be sure to find that and follow it. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Drink and Deconstruct podcast. I'm your host, Grace Marino, and I hope you had a great time with us today. See you next week. 
If you or anyone you know has a story that they would like to share about their own deconstruction experience, their own experience in a cult, please send them our way. You can email us at drinkanddeconstructpodcast at gmail.com or you can follow us on Instagram at drinkanddeconstructpod and send us a DM over there.